0: Listening to the Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White.
1: Welcome to the Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers, brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White, and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir?
2: All is well. All is well, and you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Nice. And uh, look, uh, today's show is a bit of a unique one. Uh, I I think you know we, we. always uh obviously talking about um, uh, uh marketing and sales and the b2b manufacturing context but um we rarely kind of and that can kind of lead us i guess into some different directions but i think today's episode we're just going to uh look a little bit further around the corner than we usually do i think and maybe get a little bit more philosophical about where things are heading um I don't like to say post COVID because then you'll get everybody yelling at you that COVID's never going away and we'll never be post COVID. So I don't, <laughs> I don't mean to be a pandemic minimalist, but I mean more just like as we learn to to live with this and whatever, and as society emerges out of what we've collectively experienced. Uh, today's guest has some thoughts as to what that means in the world of marketing and sales and just overall connection to humans. I, curious to kick it around jeff yeah well i think you know it's certainly uh been part
1: of our ethos for a long time around connecting people to each other um through marketing and things like that but uh, this is i think we're going to go even deeper today
2: yeah i mean i think uh so just people don't think we're just paying lip service to that like we literally have people matter object stone has been the core kind of ethos of Kula partners since we started our, our company together and uh um, you know, we saw that coming to life in a lot of different ways. And, of course, if you know about uh, the Cooler Ring in Papua New Guinea, uh, uh, then you'll know where Cooler Partners and the Cooler Ring and Amy uh, came from, which is so it was pretty deeply rooted into this kind of idea of human connection. Uh, yeah, but I didn't anticipate did it. today's conversation, I should say.
1: <laughs> no, and you can't see it, but it's printed on the wall behind Carmen.
2: right now. Yes, yes. And even if it wasn't, we would tell you it was.
1: but it's because we're just marketers. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But joining us today is Peter Hedger, and Peter is the VP of Marketing and Business Development at Composite Applications Group. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, Peter. Thank you. I appreciate it.
2: Peter, it's awesome to have you on the show, and um, I hope I didn't uh, uh, tee us up as to be too much of a crystal ball episode here. We're really putting you on the spot. Sure, sure, and that's fine. I don't have a crystal ball, but uh, I like to peer...
0: Whimsically into the future, from time to time. So,
2: <laughs> nice. All right. Well, let's get whimsical then. But before we do that, maybe we'll start uh, things off by uh, introducing our, our listeners to you a bit more formally. Tell us, t- tell them a bit about yourself and uh, about the firm as well. Yeah, great. Uh,
0: appreciate the opportunity to come on. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. And my name is Peter Hedger, Jr. Um, my dad is also a Peter Hedger. And I have a son, Peter Hedger, so carrying on that name. Um, what I do is sales, marketing, business development for a company called Composite Applications Group. And composite Applications Group helps connect OEMs that are looking to innovate and be relevant or have an edge with their competition, connecting them to a supply chain in advanced materials and composites. So if you are thinking of making something lighter or get better battery life or be able to be stronger, then that generally is the resonating um, drumbeat of the composites industry. And so my background has been in composites for the last 20 odd years. Uh, My grandfather started a company in the composites industry called Magnum Venus Products. um, And I grew up with polyester resin in my blood, which is one of the cornerstones of um, the composites industry. And when I say composites for the purpose of this conversation, because it may come up again, Composites or would be fiber reinforced polymers. Um, there's other composite materials out there like polymer concrete and other things, and there's a fantastic materials. But for my purposes, if I refer to composites, it'll be fiber reinforced polymers.
2: Man, that is a uh, talk about being born into an industry. Yeah, my goodness.
0: <laughs> and there's a lot of us. So I have eight <laughs> kids, and forewarning if you hear, um, different noises uh there's a chance that i could be interrupted i'm at my home um but i have eight kids that come from a family of seven and there's other families within the the business that have large amounts of children as well so it's a very uh very irish family <laughs>
2: <laughs> it helps deal with the labor shortage a bit <laughs> that's right. We're working working on that you may go bankrupt with the holiday parties though that's exactly right,
0: but we're trying. We're trying to keep that demographic up. I think I'd probably line up a little bit more with like an Elon Musk, in the sense that I'm just trying to contribute back to society with some offspring. <laughs> <laughs> uh look,
2: uh, as we uh, as we kind of look ahead and uh, kind of tee this up a, a little bit in the in the show introduction, um, I, I think what, what's kind of kind of curious to me in in our our conversation is that uh there seems to be a bit of a juxtaposition to me between what seems like a, a fairly brass tacks hard working industry like structural composites and kind of your 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 life in that and then you're thinking about what's going to actually be connecting and resonating with people in the future, and maybe even how marketing and sales in your industry and others will evolve. Right. What, what What's that shift? If you had to put your finger on it, what do you think that shift is going to be primarily? No, that's a great question. So I don't do a lot of
0: marketing to consumers, but that being said, everybody that I come in contact with are human beings. We're still not automated to the point where we're not touching and feeling each other as we're talking about business. And so I'm still talking to people. Um, That's never going to go away. But my impression with the advances in technology that we're seeing now, especially things like, I mean, everybody's hearing the buzz right now with AI and chat GPT and all that stuff. Those are excellent tools. Um, Those are excellent tools that I think are going to have benefit to a wide variety of folks. But the the implications on the human psyche and humanity in general is that we will see and feel less of each other and i think what you're going to see and i think this is what you're alluding to in the intro is that you're going to see a bit of a rebound you're going to see the repercussions begin to resonate a little more forcefully as people desire authenticity and human contact again and you're seeing it now a little bit Um, With the evolution of social media, we've distanced ourselves and portrayed what we want people to feel and think about us and less about the authentic person that we are. And you're beginning to see the people that are gaining traction tend to be people that are brash or or harsher. Um, And that's because we're being desensitized to everybody's everyday life that is being portrayed. And so that feeling and the brashness is that they're more real or more authentic when that may or may not actually be the case. And so people are going to start questioning more and more and polarizing more and more in the personalities that we see around us, whether it's social media or the news or whatever media consumption that we have. And people are going to desire to actually meet their neighbors again, right? They're going to desire to have that human contact and community and expression that is received and reciprocated by actual people rather than artificial intelligence or talking heads
2: it uh i mean man it seems to me like we've been beating this authenticity drum for an awfully long time i mean i i I don't know like man if i have much hair left most of it's gray and I, i don't think i had much gray hair at all the first time i was sitting in a A marketing meeting hearing people talking about the desire for brands to be authentic Mm -hmm. um especially in those early days of social media yeah and i guess i just it it always seems to ring hollow a bit to me now you know and uh is it rebounding so i would say well i mean i think the
0: term authenticity is tired right it's a tired it's a tired brand if you want to look at it at the way it's been communicated, it's been, it's tired because people that were looking into the crystal ball 10 years ago saw it coming. Um, I think it's here now, but because as communication professionals and marketing professionals, we saw it coming for us, it's very tired. The implications, though, right, the syntax of what authenticity actually means, that is what is more relevant now. So you could call it what you want, but the actual implications of what we saw in the crystal ball five to 10 years ago or even 15 years ago when social media became relevant. We're like, this is going to happen. It's happening now. And you're going to see it more and more where people are beginning to monetize social media rather than using social media to connect to people. And that that's what everybody's caring about now is the ability to monetize that social media presence, the ability to monetize um, influencers, et cetera, and it becomes entertainment and less about connecting to people and more about consuming some type of entertainment. And when you have COVID now, and I think COVID was really galvanizing, and I'm not going to say it's pre covid or post-COVID, but the culture is definitely post-COVID. And the consumer mentalities are definitely post-COVID. We are always going to have COVID with us, but our behavior and consumption has changed. People in, in in my industry, this is this was the interesting thing. So in my industry, we deal with a lot of recreation okay when recessions happen or the economy stumbles those are the first to drop off and so when covid when when the entire world shut down from covid we anticipated those markets to absolutely be decimated but what happened was the complete opposite so everybody decided that they wanted to be with family they wanted to be together and they went to the things in recreation that brought them together boats rvs other, other forms of recreation, mountain biking, snowboarding. And that's why if you went down to like an REI, you couldn't find inventory. If you went to a boat um, retailer, you couldn't find inventory. Backlogs went through the roof and are still beyond what capacity allows right now. And it's because people couldn't be outside in their offices. They were confined to themselves. And so they began to go and find things that they could do outside together away from everyone. And that's why that's why you still see that going on right now. And so the the consumer mentality has changed.
2: I was just chuckling a bit at the outside together, but away from everyone. Right? Like there is a, there was that notion of um, you know I, I think in the in the heart of the a pandemic response, the people people that retreating and kind of in some ways nesting uh, that happened there. And people were, uh, and, and I do think that that drove. Um, for better or worse in some instances, maybe deeper connections to family. (laughs) It depends on if you like your family or not, I suppose, but
0: But, but no, no, let me, let me me talk about that a little bit, right? You're finding, you're finding that when the families had to get together, this, so our culture nowadays is so easily distant, so easily distant. And when something like COVID happened, it caused everybody to come in and have friction again. And that friction created sparks in some families didn't survive that there's there's horror stories of marriages and families that just got shattered because they had to get to know each other again and that's that's an indicator of of where our culture has had grown to without even us knowing like you know the whole boil of frog right it's the boil of frog analogy with this social media and it goes back to what we were talking about before with authenticity we talked about what was going to happen when the water boiled but the water wasn't boiling yet we were all frogs in the pot and they slowly turn the heat up and the heat has gotten to the point now where it's boiling and if people don't jump out you're going to you they're going to be distant and more distant and then when they get forced together with something like covid it galvanizes it there's friction there's tension and if they don't have a base of relationships it can cause stress
1: that other how do you think manufacturers are thinking about this like how is it coming to life for them you know are do you think that people are actually considering i mean it seems like in in the industries that you work with in in the b2b deals that you would be working on where you're selling to another manufacturer you're aware of what they are doing and and kind of the products that they're making that they have an end consumer in mind um are the manufacturers thinking about those new relationship and community dynamics as they go to market um
0: yes And, and and how it affects me so let let let's I'll give you my perspective and I'll extrapolate as much as I can and speak for my customers as much as I can. Obviously, my influence and my ability to do that is limited because I don't work for them. But I have talked to, um, like, for instance, I had a run in with one of the big three, which I guess that's irrelevant now because the automotive world is completely different. Um, but when we brought technology to them that they desired, the the request from them was that they only wanted technology that would affect the customer experience? Okay, so they wanted it to be warm. They wanted it to, to affect them in a way that was positive, um, not as harsh. And so now, in my thinking, as a as a as a business to business marketer, how I'm talking to the my customer base is shifting again. So when people are wanting to have community and they're wanting to have family and they're wanting to actually engage in that friction. They're desiring that friction and that spark again. um, As they do that, how do I communicate my product or service to a manufacturing industry that is communicating that type of message to an end user? And so I have to communicate my product very similarly, right? There has to be a thread between selling technology to an industry and that industry, communicating that technology to a consumer. So, and, and how I do that, it's really going to depend on the industry itself. Like when I talked about the ability for the customer's experience to be altered, how does a graphene particle change the nature of whatever that technology is going into an automobile? right? Is it going to make the seats warmer faster? Does that change the customer's experience? Is it going to increase the pliability or the tactile sensations that they that they receive by touching the leather on their upholstery or those types of things I have to be conscious and aware of and know how to communicate technology's impact on things like that. So I'm making a lot, of, lot more dot connecting has to happen within my mind with the companies that I represent, the companies that I'm selling to or communicating to. Does that, does that make sense? Is that helpful?
1: Yeah, I I think so. It's, you know, it's interesting to kind of think about it in that context, like how does it improve or, or alter the experience of the end user? And you got to talk to your customers about how that's going to come to life.
0: Yeah. And it it becomes marketers talking to marketers. Like I need to know, and I'll use the name Mastercraft uh, boats. What is Mastercraft's desire for their customers to feel? When they get onto the boat i need to know that because i have a wide variety of of products and services that i could represent and if i'm bird dogging a certain group of technologies trying to figure out if they make sense or are relevant to a mastercraft boats i need to know what mastercraft is desiring to communicate to their end user and i have to bird dog those technologies for them that will that will make mastercraft truth tellers and not liars about their services right they need to say we're going to do x whatever x is for their customer and i need to provide them a technology that allows them to do x or provide x to their customers so there's that's the thread i'm talking about that i have to be aware of in communicating so it is very specific to each individual customer and i have to be aware that when i'm talking to them i need to know what the what the market says from a macro and what the customer says from a micro and what their differentiation is in the market and how my communication to them has to be specific.
1: I love that. You don't often see marketers as a persona in a B2B sales. No, you (laughs) don't. That's right. Like, you know, like we're not not often kind of targeting them. It's always engineers or others.
2: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, part of this, of course, is customizing that and kind of understanding the individual customer that you're looking to sell to. But then, of course, part of what we've been talking about here is the overall kind of cultural shift that would be something that's being experienced by every one of those customers. Um, So if we're making some judgments based upon that shift that we see, um, You know, there's some pressure for that to be right. I guess I'm curious. Have you thought about what if you're wrong? Like, have you thought about, like, what if 20 years from now, they're actually, we're we're more siloed, we're more isolated from each other than ever before?
0: (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's a great question. And it it really calls into my own personal beliefs. And I think this is what's going to have to happen for a lot of people is their own personal beliefs are going to come into an account and then then you then i have to desire that confirmation bias so even regardless of of whether or not you want to be more isolated or not i do not and i don't believe it'll be that way because people are communal and as they desire that community you're going to get that confirmation bias cuz i'm going to bend it that way with any and all influence that i have because it is essential for people to continue to have that friction or we cease to challenge each other. And when we cease to challenge each other, we cease to grow. And so it comes back to the humanity of of who we are and what we believe and how we act our lives out with integrity on a day-to-day basis. And when I say integrity, it's not just the moral aspect. It's the integrity of being true to yourself with the way that you want to grow, the way that you desire to grow. And that, that can be a moral thing or not. It, it, The integrity extends beyond just morals and ethics and into the day-to-day life. And it's really the integrity of who people are in general that is being called into account nowadays, right? It's the integrity of our desires. Do we desire this really, or do we desire this? And this can be X. Do we desire this really, or do we desire this because it achieves a persona that we desire for ourselves, but not actually something we really and truly desire? and i think integrity boiling it down it's the integrity of humanity that is being called to account the more we get involved in artificial intelligence because artificial intelligence is a mirror of what we what we're talking about here and it's is it a mirror of our true selves or a mirror of what we want everybody to see of us which is what social media has created so it's the confirmation bias i think that that i would i would say that I will desire and will influence and will carry forward those desires to be real and authentic. And I think others will do the same. And I desire that to be a confirmation bias, <laughs> right? I desire to look back and say, see, I said I was right. Um, I'm going to push that way. And if I'm wrong, the the consequences are consequences that we as, as a people are going to have to deal with because there will be serious consequences to isolation.
2: Well, it's interesting to think about um, uh, community-based isolation maybe is how I'm going to on-the-fly phrase it, which is to say one of the things that social media has allowed us to do is find like-minded people and then only commune with them. Um, And it's been interesting to me to see some of the overlap between that in social media and that in real life, not to get too political on this show and by no means is this something that i uh, am, am active in in per, pursuing but I, I do try to expose myself to different ways of thinking and as a result of that i tend to follow a few social media accounts um, in, out of the state of new hampshire that are more like libertarian free staters et cetera, that kind of whole new hampshire separatist movement and things of that nature but it's always very fringe and whatnot no question about that but it is an indication of a community that i think largely comes together via social media and is now actually locating co-locating geographically together so it's uh, it, it it's interesting to me because it's like there's this it's not just a question between individual isolation and community it's also a um a question between community where we get those friction in different ideas Versus community where we largely all agree because we're swimming in our own bathtub or drinking our own bathwater,
0: and that—that's the fear that I have. Okay, so that's a great point. I mean, we have established these polarizing camps because we've been given the liberty to give people the persona of what we want people to believe we believe. Then it doesn't necessarily mean that when you were squeezed, this is what your belief system is that actually comes out it means that i have the liberty to polarize myself into a camp and to me that's that's exactly what's happening throughout the the world now is you get these polarized camps where people don't have the consequence of the friction of actually having awkward conversations face to face because 50 percent of language is body language okay and if you're not engaging with people in a physical way you're missing a lot of what they're saying so you're hearing and seeing pictures and videos that are curated and cultivated based upon what they desire to have you believe and everybody is becoming their own marketer they're marketing themselves on social media that's what that's essentially what they're doing and the message of their life and the and the banner above their life is what they're cultivating to be consumed by other people and everybody desires that artificial community to to reinforce the belief of what their belief is and to confirm that their belief is valid. And that creates polarization that creates all these camps that you're going to start getting. And you get these camps together and you're going to get friction. And the larger those camps get before they get that friction, the more consequences happen. And that's why I think overall social media can be helpful for staying in touch with people. But if people don't realize the implications of that polarization and friction that is inevitably going to come and get together in communities, it's going to, it's going to hinder, it's going to hinder a lot of political and social, um, advancements. And, and in my opinion, I think we need to have those conversations now as a society rather than later. Um, and, and as a marketer, my desire is to communicate that is to continue to bang the gong of authenticity. It's to continue to say we need each other in a very real way rather than looking towards what we think everybody wants to see from us.
1: I agree. I just wonder if that's kind of how the way we're headed.
0: <laughs> I doubt it. No, I doubt it. We love entertainment and it's just going to get gaudier and gaudier and more in your face because it's, it's desensitization. We're being desensitized to somebody dropping a curse word or somebody revealing themselves in, an, an, in a weird way. And you're getting it's just all around us. It, it, we're being drawn to the audacious. We're being drawn to things. And, and why? Why are we being drawn to the audacious or so the guy that says the awkward thing? Because we don't have the ability to have that real gut-wrenching feeling in conversation with ourselves and the people around us. So we're living, um, as Plato would say, through the other people. That's why theater was invented. So you could live through the experience in the theater and not act it out yourself. And so that's why there was there's a there's a camp that says by experiencing violence on television, it keeps people from being violent. Do I agree with that philosophy? No, but that's what you're seeing now. People desire to be that authentic self, they desire to be the one that says that audacious thing and get all of the attention. And so they try it on for size. And they go out and they say something audacious and they see if people respond. And they continue to ping things off of that wall that just responds to themselves. What they want them to hear, and when they find something that sticks, they lean into it and then they become more and more audacious and that desensitization is happening throughout social media now,
2: yeah I mean look uh we I'm gonna sound like an incredibly old man when I say this, but man, I remember uh, growing up in my hometown uh, you could go into the barber shop as a young boy and you basically I mean, in, in my, in, in, up here in, in Canada, in my part of Canada, there really were only two political parties. So basically a polarized two-party system, much like the U.S., I suppose. <laughs> uh, and you would go into the barber shop, and, of course, there would always be a good, healthy debate going on about something. But they had to do it. Uh, they had to look each other in the eye while they were waiting for a haircut and drinking a cup of coffee, right? And... They, there was a certain kind of uh, civility. Uh, go along, to, yeah. You got everybody still got along, even though they disagreed, and uh, and you can certainly see uh, in, in a realm of uh, you know t- look at at political disagreements on Twitter. They did not have that same level of civility uh, because we're not face to face. You're quite right. I think uh, I think it's been a, a just a fascinating kind of conversation on so many levels, and I'm kind of curious to just begin to imagine how b2b manufacturing marketers <laughs> who you know are often so pushed into thinking about you're selling to engineers this is like you know it's about the facts it's about the you know it's all about being down to, to brass tacks all the time right mm-hmm. um these four pieces of content to move you through the funnel right and uh it's going to be interesting to see that attitude come up against this uh um this more, uh, human, if you will, kind of consideration. No, that's a,
0: that's a great question. Um, I think, uh, so here's a, here's another dilemma and I'll pose this to you guys. Um, so as a consumer, not a marketer, okay. Cause we consume things. Are you more or less opposed to the idea of people essentially reading your mail? Um, essentially knowing so much about who you are that the advertisements that are fed to you are basically what was heard. You, what you were heard talking about, right? It becomes far more convenient to get what you want at the expense of your privacy and your Liberty. Okay. And that do you do, is that a, is that a price that you're willing to pay for the ability to find your desires at a faster pace? Cause that's what we're called to do as a marketer or I'm called to do as a marketer, my, I'm called to know my customers so well that when they turn their head, there it is that I have what they want. And so I need to know them. And with, with, with social media and the data that is available to be mined, do you think that it is worth it for you to sacrifice some of your, your liberty, some of your choice to be fed what you're being curated to consume?
1: Man, that's an interesting point, especially as you look at the growing pushback towards tracking um Apple, of course, leading a lot of that with their privacy policy and do not track functionality and then GDPR and cookie compliance for tracking being removed. Like I, I wonder if part of reaching your desired end state of more and better community, is going to be helped along by the changes that are happening in technology right now.
2: Yeah. I mean, to answer your question directly around, is it worth it? I think most people have, um, uh, they've been desensitized to that privacy, mm-hmm. uh, uh, concern. Um, uh, but then the, the, then there's the weird, like rather than, is it worth it? I'd almost asked market or sometimes is it worth it? Like, How many people do I, you know, brands do I see marketing to me after I've already bought what I was researching? Like, you know, like
1: like there's a... You mean you don't need another king-size mattress? (laughs) Right, right, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's a a great indication. How do you know I've been shopping for a mattress? Anyway, uh, but yes, uh, it's like once you've gone through that purchase, you're going to have two more months of people paying to serve you ads that are completely irrelevant so that uh, so there's a I think a lot of marketers are questioning how how useful that is combine it with the ability the, the, the ability to do that is in some ways going away or getting harder with the privacy shifts chef's making and then we wrap it all up with the fact that you know uh, the Gen Z and uh, and and uh the you know the the, the new uh, younger generation coming into the workforce etc you know kind of aren't uh, clamoring towards social media uh, in the same way maybe that uh, we did as the first generation to uh, be engaged with it yeah
0: i i have this debate with my wife sometimes cuz she's always like you know you need to be careful what you're searching for or isn't it creepy that they're doing this We can't allow them to do this and i'm like you know uh I agree with that to an extent, but when I'm trying to find something and it's just handed to me, it, it, it's a sweet thing, right? It's, it's nice to know like, oh, Hey, uh, it's been a month since you bought toothbrushes for your eight kids. You, you might want to consider buying toothbrushes. And then I look around, I'm like, I don't have any toothbrushes. I really need to get toothbrushes. Cause I'd rather pay for those than cavities. Right. And so it's that kind of like I don't know it's it, it is giving me what I want but but here's here's the the moral dilemma that I see happening and it's bearing fruit now is is we are all in echo chambers our own echo chambers we are saying things and getting parroted back what we say by the community that we have cultivated in an artificial way and so that leads us to more navel gazing and mirror staring than ever before and I'm a firm believer that. That true happiness and is not the fulfillment of self, but the fulfillment of other people's selves, meaning getting out of yourself and quit being self-centered and self-focused and being other-centered and other-focused. And yes, that comes from my faith and what I believe all of the purpose of existence is. And that's, that's a very uh, informed, that informs my decisions and my perspectives tremendously. But, but it plays out that way. Right. We, we love the story of somebody who lays their life down for somebody else. I mean, that's why Santa Claus is the perfect altruist. And he's always been going to be popular with with people because that dude, the theory of Santa Claus is that dudes out there just giving people what they want. He knows what they want through some metaphysical way. And he's fulfilling their desires and in, in, in a very self, non self-serving way. But we're all taught right now that social media is there for us. So we serve ourselves in these echo chambers, and it's difficult.
2: I have no idea how we've circled around to Santa Claus in this conversation. <laughs> he's a but I, marketer, right? I just want to end it now. I think it's, I think it's like we were ending at Santa Claus and scene, right? Well, you see... I mean, well, he... and it, and it, in addition to uh, everything you mentioned he has some incredible uh, logistics capabilities <laughs> exactly Yeah, his supply chain is never ever
1: compromised <laughs> yeah. unless it was a cabbage patch kid oh, in 1984. Yeah. i'd like to get
0: his customer personas like i'd like to get into santa claus database and find out how he is how he is gleaning market intelligence from social media in order to be able to better serve his customers
2: oh man for those of you in Canada, like i.e. five of you, um, <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure there was some collusion between Santa and the Sears wish book at one point. I think they shared persona data. <laughs> That's true. Quite right. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, look, Peter, it's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, thank you for, for sharing your perspective with us today. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show.
0: Yeah, it's been a pleasure being here. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. All the best Thanks, to you. Mark. Yeah, thank you. Great to meet you. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at KulaPartners.com slash The cooler Ring. That's K-U-L-A-Partners.com slash The Cooler Ring.